Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Hey, Grandmaster Picel. Can you tell us the warning about Binge Mode's adult content? Well, the thing about Binge Mode is uh, Binge Mode contains (laughs) adult situations. Contains violence and sex. (sighs) Never mind. Here's Binge Mode. Look around, boy. This look like home to you. You start thinking you know this place, it'll kill you. We're at war. We've always been at war. It's never going to end because we're not fighting an enemy. We're fighting the North, and it's not going anywhere. The watch has given you a great gift. You only have one thing to give in return. Your life. And welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished hurling dung at his villainous liege, it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. I have taken Winterfell. Do you understand? Me. (laughs) I have taken it. It is mine now. Compelling. (laughs) (laughs) Convincing. Jason... This is no ordinary podcast. True. Our dreams come true. Do they? We are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. That is our dream. I have dreamed of <laughs> 60 episodes swamping these walls, dead men floating in the water. The dead men might be us. Yeah. That's okay. We do I've it out of myself. love. We're deep diving, guys, one episode at a time. Requisite spoiler warning. We will be going deep on details from the show and the books alike for this season and beyond. They may just be words to keep us warm at night, Ooh. make us feel like we've got a purpose, but let's say them anyway. It's time to break down season two, episode six, The Old Gods and the New. Jason, we've had vicious kings. Check. We've had idiot kings. Check. But I don't think we've ever had a vicious idiot before. Uh, Until now. Right. Until now. Let's refresh ourselves on these unusual times, taking a... Quick trip down our very own King's Road. Offer up a brief refresher on the key happenings from this sixth installment. Up at Winterfell, with the bulk of the armed guard away at Torn Square, Theon manages to take the castle with only a handful of men. Meister Lewin manages to get a raven away just in time. Theon gathers the Stark household in the pouring rain to witness Bran yield the castle. Sir Roderick spits in Theon's face. In order to save his honor, Theon goes against the advice of Lewin and rather incompetently executes (laughs) Sir Roderick. Osha, a.k.a. Nymphador Tonks, seduces Theon, fucking him into a state of deep, dark unconsciousness, which she exploits by sneaking the Stark boys and their wolves out of Winterfell. Yeah, she does. (laughs) North of the Wall, up at the Skirling Pass, John and the half-hand small group fall upon the wildling scouts, those guys that they were worried about starting the fire, the warning fire. Everyone except the red-headed egret is killed outright. She is issuing a warning to the Night's Watch. Burn the bodies. Burn them. John doesn't kill her immediately. Pulls a, she's a girl. 
She's a girl. And John promises ultimately the half hand that he will kill Ygritte, but and he won't. Ygritte escapes. John has to give her chase. Ultimately, he catches her, but he's lost his own traveling party at that point. So they've got to cuddle up against the Northern Knight. This is the sound of Ygritte grinding Grind. up against that bone. Stop that! Over in Harrenhal, Littlefinger's in town to visit Tywin. One wrinkle, he could potentially recognize Arya's face. If he sees it, that is. Does he? Who knows? She spills some wine on him, turns away, he kind of looks at her, but it's hard to tell if he actually does recognize her. Arya happens to notice a letter containing intelligence about Rob in Tywin's chambers. She manages to steal it. Sir Armory Lorch, who cannot read, catches her with it forcing Arya to waste death wish number two on him. Why not use girl. it on Tywin? Oh, girl, we'll Why get to not? that. We'll, okay, we'll yeah, get yeah, to that. Yeah. Boy, real dumb. Uh, in King's Landing, Marcella shipped off to Dorne, and at what should be a touching farewell <laughs> yeah. ceremony, uh, Cersei responds, you know, we all process our feelings differently, yes. and, and her, her method of coping is to uh, swear to shred Tyrion to smithereens. The starving small folk of King's Landing, meanwhile, they're in the streets as the royal party makes its way back to the Red Keep. They turn their anger on the royals. They're hungry. They want food. They want bread. They happen to have a bunch of shit, so they throw some of it in Joffrey's face. It is awesome. It's awesome. Who did that? Jason's Joffrey is so great. Naturally, a riot breaks out. Several nobles, many peasants are killed. The High Septon is literally ripped limb from limb. (laughs) Sansa is nearly raped, but thankfully the Hound rescues her, rescues his little bird. Over in Quarth, Danny is annoyed (laughs) at having to wait to meet the Spice King, the second wealthiest man in Quarth. Uh, to be fair, we're all annoyed at having to wait in Karth in general. Yeah. Zaro again presses his marriage claim, which is denied once again. Danny asks the Spice King for a loan of ships, beginning a kind of multi-season odyssey in search of sea craft. The Spice <laughs> King turns her down. Danny returns from a stroll to find her entire household murdered and her dragon stolen. In the Westerlands, Rob's campaign is is a thriving success so far, yeah. and he's he's strolling through camp, you know. And, and who who What's who this? should he see? Ooh. But the lovely foot son to Lisa, Ooh. mixing it with the men, they, they get to get to flirting, you know, semi successfully. You can feel some of the sparks flying, and then who should arrive? Oh, but mother! Cockblock cat! <laughs> oh, mother! Throwing a oh, we're just, bucket uh, of ice water. Just talking with this uh, beautiful nurse, uh, as you do when you're king. We'll be right there, Mom. Yeah. Just uh, doing math and stuff. Kat can see immediately what's going on, and she reminds Rob, not unkindly, that he has sworn a vow he has a duty to fulfill. Meanwhile, Roos Bolton brings sad tidings from the north. Theon has captured Winterfell. Winterfell. Roderick is dead. No word of the boys. Bolton... Kind guy. Always looking to help. My bastard happens to be in the area. Offers to send his bastard to retake Winterfell. Rob agrees, but insists that Theon be taken alive so that Rob gets to be the one to swing the sword of justice. Jason, as yes. Tywin tells us, yes, men love to blame demons when their grand plans unravel, but often the blame actually belongs with other men. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it, stick it with the pointy end. That's right. The defining theme of this episode is betrayal. 
we really cannot talk about Thronesian betrayal without starting with the story's preeminent fuckboy, Theon Greyjoy. He gets everything he deserves. Never forget that, people. Bran's dream has come true. The sea has come to Winterfell. They have the Ironborn have swamped the castle. Sir Roderick is dead. Theon tries to justify his betrayal. I'm a Greyjoy. I can't fight for Rob and my father both. Uh, but he actually does love Rob in the start. You can see the shame kind of etched across his face. He doesn't love his father. He doesn't even know his father. He didn't recognize his sister. He's in love with the idea of being accepted, being a Greyjoy, being welcomed as his position as heir, being respected by the men. Of course, you got to earn that respect. You can't just show up and say, I'm a Greyjoy. But, you know, it's it's worse than that. The Winterfell move isn't Balon's order. Balon ordered him to take the Stony Shore, and he decided not to do that. He's doing it really to impress his crew, to make a name for himself, to earn the respect of his men who are openly mocking him, the men who left him on shore and rowed away while he stood there yelling, I am the captain of the ship. <laughs> who is the captain now? It's me. <laughs> They have zero affection for him, zero loyalty to him. The reason he kills Sir Roderick, who he should have kept alive because, as Meister Lewin said, the Starks will trade for him, was because he's trying to earn these guys, uh, he's trying to earn their respect. Uh, All-time great moment when Bran and Theon are addressing the people of Winterfell and Theon says, you all know me. And <laughs> homie Farland says, aye, we know you for a steaming sock of shit. <laughs> it's great. It's yeah. great stuff. Uh, Theon is internally tortured, soon to be externally tortured, <laughs> by uh, the betrayal, which he's trying to frame as kind of a, as a kind of kindness. He's saying, you know, if you serve me as loyally as you did Ned Stark, I would be good to you as he ever was. Uh, you know, not a great look for my dude Theon. You know, and then when Theon has to, has to kill Roderick, who, which he, you know, initially does not want to do, he says, uh, as Roderick comes up, it grieves me that we meet as foes it grieves me. <laughs> I have to do the Roderick voice. It grieves me that you have less honor than a back alley whore. <laughs> you were raised here under this roof. Your people are these people. King Rob thought of you as a brother. Are we brothers now and forever, now and always? Remember that? Yeah. My brothers died fighting stockmen, Roderick. Lord Stark raised you among his own, Theon, among them. But not one of them. I was his hostage, Roderick. I should have put a sword in your belly instead of in your hand, and that's true. Theon dropping betrayals within betrayals now. Bran reminds him, you said no harm would come to these people if I yielded. But Theon is just, it's thirsty for the approval of his men to Lewin. He says, you'll address me as Prince Theon or you'll be next. <laughs> Any last words, old man? He says to Roderick, God's help you, Theon Greyjoy. Now you are truly lost. You know, that this is a thing. Roderick sees that he's never going to be accepted among the Ironborn right. anyway. And now you're going to do this. Right. You're going to be between worlds forever. Uh, you've chosen and you've chosen poorly, Theon Greyjoy. Rob. When Rob learns of Theon's betrayal, his his conclusion and clarity is instant. Cat yeah. says, "Let me go talk to Theon." And Rob answers, "There will be no talking. Yeah, He'll you can't talk die for this. That's it. Time There's for talking's no talk over." Anymore. He then adds that he wants him alive. I want to look him in the eye and ask him why, and then I'll take his head myself. Rob, it's not as clear cut though as he's setting it out to be. Right there, he has a decision to make. Does he answer Theon's betrayal? 
by ultimately betraying his own mission, right? Does he go back to Winterfell and abandon the larger war effort? He wants to do this. He says, how can I call myself a king if I can't hold my own castle, yeah. which is the a king who lost the north. Yeah, a valid note, dude, <laughs> valid note. And Bolton is the one who convinces Rob. No. Part of being a king is that you have other men who can do things right. for you, right? Very convenient. Very so my bastard is Very convenient. in the end. Though, area. I will say, eerily reminiscent of a, of a bit of advice Rob got from Kat in season one when he's like, I have to lead the war effort. Right. Who else but me? And she's like, well, who are all these other men? Right. Who Same are these thing. that you have? Yeah, we're, he chose a weird time to start listening, I guess. But Bolton says, let my bastard go to Winterfell. <laughs> This, of course, sets the stage. We don't know it in the moment. Rob doesn't know it in the moment for a future epic betrayal. And just relatedly, the irony of Bolton, of Roos fucking Bolton, of all people, saying the Greyjoys are treasonous whores. The Greyjoys are treasonous whores. Very rich. Very rich. This is also not the only betrayal that Rob is involved with in this episode, the the Theon betrayal. Ooh. He has agreed to a marriage pact with the phrase when he crossed at the twins. We can but see it coming, can we? here's the rub. The rub is that he wants a rub and rub. a tug from Talisa. <laughs> he uh, he's got it bad yeah. for Talisa, and Cat can it's see pink, it. Pink wind is growing, <laughs> howling. <laughs> <laughs> When Rob, when Kat shows up and Rob says, I've missed you, right? Kat can see her right away. She says, yes, you look positively (laughs) forlorn. And she says to him, it's very sweet. I wish you were free to follow your heart, but you've inherited your father's responsibilities, your promise to another, a debt that must be paid. Rob says, I haven't forgotten. This is a deliberate scene because the show is clearly laying the groundwork for Rob's eventual betrayal of this promise and for the cost that backtracking in this fashion will have. Word is law. If you break your word, you break your oath, usually you die. All the wildlings are canny, aren't they? Osha. Fane's betrayal, so she can get close enough to to Mr. Greyjoy there. She's taken his measure in more ways than one. And she manages to put this guy deep, 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 deep to sleep. Uh, And Theon, if there's a weakness that this guy has, it is that he will fall for this exact move. If you show him a little skin and say, oh, Mr. Theon, Mm. you strong prince, you, you strong prince of the Ironborn, he loves this shit. He craves acceptance in any kind of way, physical, emotional, whatever it is. He asks what she wants. What all free people want? My freedom. Well, you should have it then, but only if you serve me well. Uh, Which she does, and then he falls asleep, and she sneaks away with the the Stark boys. Uh, John, speaking of people thinking with their dicks, the (laughs) half-hand is really trying to give John immensely valuable life lessons here, both for just life in general and for life in the watch. He says... We're at war. We've always been at war, and it's never going to end because we're not fighting an enemy. We're fighting the North, and it's not going anywhere. Arguably one of the mission statements for the entire story, right? right? A very powerful, very poignant idea. Very soon an idea that John will push back behind his throbbing boner as he focuses on other things. (laughs) The half-hand also says, you only have one thing to give in return, your life, John replies i'd gladly give my life and then the half hand very wise 
I don't want you to be glad about it. I want you to curse and fight until your heart's done pumping. Know this, boy. Your death will be a gift for them south of the wall. They'll never know what you've done. They'll never know how you died. They won't even know your name. Now, we know what John's future holds. This is pretty intense to hear somebody say this to him, knowing what awaits him. And then the half hand follows up with, do you understand me? John, of course, says, I do, even though he he doesn't, right? Much like Benjamin says to him in season one, you wouldn't be so ready to jump into this if you actually had any idea what it meant. And the half hand, not one to miss a beat, says, you're even dumber than you look. It's nice when the characters voice our thoughts for us. They're just words, boy, to keep us warm at night, make us feel like we've got a purpose this is crucial counsel. And right. when John makes his betrayal, when John when John's betrayal occurs later in this episode, it's a betrayal of that wisdom more than anything else. The half hand orders John to kill Egret. He's saying, like, no, none of them would give you mercy. Right. He flat out asks, asks Egret, you know, what, what would, would you, you do, do if you found me? And what she has is a great line, right? We'd take your head if we were feeling kind, right. something like that. So here's the problem. Halfhand gives him some space, you know. Let let the let the young man have some privacy. He can't do Soft it. Hearts of women. Egret knows it. She calls him out. She says, "You can't do it. We both know it. The right. sun's going down, Jon Snow, and your friends are nowhere close." John, here at the Ringer, we have a recurring rubric called "We Have Some Notes." Just a quick, <laughs> quick audio version of that here. Number one, you have a dire wolf. Keep him with you. Where is he? Don't let him roam off to go, like, sniff out a snack on the glacier. Keep him by your side. And also, don't let the hot wiling who's been kissed by fire grind up against your junk as you're falling asleep. Stop it. Stop that. In the words of Littlefinger, you only make peace with your enemies. That's why they call it making peace. Tywin and Littlefinger discussing the... uh, political ramifications of recent events. Littlefinger says that the Lannisters and Starks, plus the Tyrells, they command the largest host, but they haven't declared yet. Notes that Loras will want revenge upon Stannis for the death of Renly. Marjorie wants Mm -hmm. to be queen. Tywin mentions that they rebelled, and Littlefinger says, yes, they did, but perhaps that treason shall be punished one day. You know, there's this idea of you've got to take the threats as they come and you've got to be able to build alliances with people who have maybe crossed you in order to betray them later down the line. Exactly. And the various interpretations of what a betrayal looks like or how to deal with it on display fully as we watch Cersei and Tyrion interact, as is so often the case. (laughs) You know, these two have never been close, but Cersei, despite this lack of closeness, feels really betrayed by Tyrion's Marcella maneuvering, shipping her off to Dorne in a marriage pact. Does she not realize that there's like a 100,000-man army that's coming to sack the city? And like Tyrion very logically raises this point. Like, this is not a a safe, comfortable home right right now. What do you think is going to happen to her when Stannis charges the gate? But she, Cersei is not usually receptive to hearing reason so she says to him one day i pray you love someone i pray you love her so much that when you close your eyes you see her face i want that for you for a second you're like oh guys they buried the hatchet and then she says i want you to know what it's like to love someone to truly love someone before i take her from you now here's why this is supremely stupid she's broadcasting an intended betrayal promising it, putting it out there on blast, saying, I am going to fuck up your life. Stop 
being a Ned. Stop pulling a Ned. Stop telling people what you're going to do. It's not that hard. Uh, in the abstract, Joffrey's entire existence is a betrayal against the idea that the sovereign should be the protector of the people. And he embodies this in the moment when the riot breaks out. He gets hit with the shit yeah, he in does. the face. Yeah, he does. And what does he scream? Find, find who did that and bring him to me. Kill them. Kill them all. <laughs> This is a great response. You definitely want to be slaughtering your own people in the street in Tyrion to Joffrey. We've had vicious kings. We've had idiot kings. But I don't think we've ever had a vicious idiot before. Actually, I mean, I think they had. I think if you look at the history of Westeros, <laughs> they have. But Joffrey certainly is both. Yeah, point holds. Danny, much like the people in that prior exchange, has a real knack for the t- theatrics. You know, when the Spice King offers her a drink. <laughs> Did my people offer you a drink? And Danny can't just say... I'm good. I'm not really parched right now. She says, there's no servant alive who can bring me what I want. Now, very, very quick side note. When she says, whatever you grant me will be repaid three times over when I retake the Iron Throne, and the Spice King replies, retake, if you did not sit on it, would it not be more accurate to say take? Just want to note, this dude would get along really well with Stannis. They're both really sticklers for syntax and grammar, and they're both huge assholes. Back to the point, though, the Spice King, in Danny's mind at least, has betrayed a promise to assist her. And in his mind, though, this is just sound business, right? right? She's not having it. She says, do you understand? I'm no ordinary woman. My dreams come true. And then adds, I'm not your little princess. I'm Daenerys Stormborn of the blood of old Valeria. And I will take what is mine with fire and blood. I will take it. Very bold speech. But here's the problem that Danny is facing right now. You can't stop a betrayal real or perceived if you don't actually have the strength to back up your flex. We talked right. about flexing earlier in the season. Danny is still in the position. Other characters are regrouping. They're planning. They're maneuvering. They're betraying. They're kind of evolving and Danny's stuck at the flex phase, which is not good for her. Zaro reminds Danny that Nasty business, which, you know, betrayals are certainly a form of nasty business, are sometimes imperative. He says, do you think the path from poverty to wealth is always pure and honorable? I have done many things, Khaleesi, that a righteous man would condemn. And here I am with no regrets. He's an asshole, as we'll come to learn. But this is actually a lesson for her. Uh, What's the Balzac line behind every fortune? There is a great crime. I think we can say that of Zaro Zoan Doxos. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients right to your door, Jason. Amazing. And like the Marinese knot, Blue Apron is completely flexible. So you can customize your recipes each week and choose delivery options that fit your needs and... Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. Let's take a gander at what Three-Fingered Hob has on the menu. (laughs) Featured upcoming meals include, for the month of August, basil pesto chicken. Mm, Sautéed shrimp and green beans with globe tomatoes, spinach, and orzo pasta. Whole grain pasta and summer vegetables with heirloom tomato caprese salad. Mm, Miso butter salmon. And lo mein noodles with cucumber and charmed tomatoes. And last but certainly not least, meatball pizza. Yum. With fresh mozzarella cheese and charmed tomatoes. My goodness, I cannot wait to try that. I love food delivery. Same here. And so I cannot wait to try that. 
Bring it to my house. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Game of Thrones. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Game of Thrones. Blue Apron. It's a better way to cook, guys. Now, back to binge mode. Arya. Technically betraying her duties as Tywin's cupbearer, although I think we could uh, maybe argue about that. Much more egregiously, <laughs> listen, you get three kills. This is bad. You get three kills. Okay, I think we can maybe write off the tickler as, let's see if this works. Sure. Right? Yeah, you, you want to save, save your friends. You're worried about their health and right. safety. And it's just like, maybe you don't believe this guy, Right. You don't believe that he can really do it. So, like, she, sure. she didn't kind of believe it. But once you see the tickler in the yard with his neck all twisted and he, you uh-huh. know. Yeah. I think uh, you have to go and try and get the big game at this point. Yes. Why are you using the second wish on Armory Lorch? Panic kill here, guys. Armory, let's think this through. Armory Lorch is going to tell Tywin. Uh-huh that Arya is doing something that's untoward. He doesn't know because he can't fucking read. Right. He doesn't he know what kind of... He has up. no idea what letter he has. Don't kill Lorch. Kill Tywin. Kill Tywin and then go kill Joffrey. Right. Let's, like, accelerate in the story here by, by a few seasons. This is so short-sighted. It's frustrating because... Mm-hmm. We forget Arya is really young. She's right. even younger in the books than she is on the yeah. show. There's some level of just, is this basically like She's just naive. the childish yeah, wins, yeah, right? Yeah. You're saying, oh my God. Look, literally what would, it's it's what Lewin said to Bran right. earlier in the season. Like what boy, what young kid in this case would yeah. want to be pulled out of his or her regular life and given this power, this ability. She just got this ability secondhand, but even so, the power to literally change her circumstances or anyone's circumstances. And yet- she doesn't think big. Now, book readers will know, of course, the specifics right. are a little different. Some of the people are different. The The third kill, which we won't get to yet because right. that's in a future episode, a little different. It boils down to the same thing, which is that she really fucked up. Yeah. I, I, I have to say, though, I love the exchange between Arya and Jacken when she's panicked and rushed and he's all like, right. yeah, you know, a- man, will take his time. And then when she's finally just like, nah! And he does the little eye roll sigh thing. It's it's just great. It's what great is, stuff. What does he what does he uh, get him with? Like a dart, a poison yeah, dart, a poison dart. Well, like Wolfsbane, I think Tywin yeah, will this, go on to this say. This guy is a pro. It's really great stuff. Yeah. You know when when Tywin asked Arya when they're they're bonding, doing doing some of their signature right. bonding, and he asked, "What is your you know what killed your father? The father that she had told him you know had lied and I've said known a stone mason who could read exactly." And her answer to what killed him is loyalty. This is a very potent moment, but it's also very telling because it's part of what leads her to make these mistakes, actually. She's loyal to her friends, so she kills the tickler to spare them, right? She's loyal to her own pursuit. And in that moment, she perceives Lorch as a threat to that pursuit, and so she has to eliminate him. She's not panning out to think, you know, what could I really do with this power? Could Jockin end this war now? She's basically not planning properly and thus is betraying the power that she has. All right, Jason, there's no servant alive who can bring Danny what she wants. But thankfully, you can bring us what we need. So let's assemble the conclave, head to the Citadel, and learn everything we need to know about the home of the Spice King dragon thieves, Karth. K. 
Quarth. Or as Danny says, Quarth. Quarth is a port city in southeastern Essos. I guess uh, from the perspective of Westeros, we, we consider this the Far East, but uh, the Quarthians consider themselves the center of the world. It's located on the coast due south of the Red Waste across the Straits of Carth from the great island of Morak, which is the biggest island in the world as far as we know. We haven't seen the other side of the world. The Straits are also known as the Jade Gates because they connect the Summer Sea to the Jade Sea and thus are the most direct trade route between Western markets of Westeros, the Free Cities, Slaver's Bay, etc., and the Far Eastern Trading Empire of Yeeti, which we have not seen and book readers have not seen either. Singularly positioned as the crossroads between East and West, it's no surprise that Karth's tremendous wealth is generated by trade. What's kind of surprising, though, is, is that Considering that Karth is one of the oldest cities in the world, it didn't fully embrace its potential as a trading colossus until relatively recently in its history. Karth is the last surviving city of the Kathi people, an ancient race of long-limbed, pale-skinned people famed for their lacrimony in the face of evil deeds. They're known for crying, is what I'm saying. When they, when they murder someone, they say, I'm so sorry about this, and then they kill you. They originated in the grasslands of Essos thousands and thousands of years ago. At that time, the kind of dominant grassland culture was the Sarnori, also known as the Tall Men for their extraordinary height. Um, They were based uh, around the Sarnor River, which is kind of to the uh, northwest of where Karth is. And the Karthians came into frequent conflict with the Tall Men as they attempted to kind of extend their influence into into the grasslands. The Carthians mostly lost these wars and were largely shut out from expansion into the, the grasslands, which in later centuries would come to be known as the Dothraki Sea. I think you can tell by that name change that this would turn out to be something of a blessing. Environmental changes over the centuries before the Doom of Valeria caused the southeastern grasslands to turn into the deserts known as the Red Waste. This was spelled the end of, of numerous Carthian city-states. Uh, And then came the doom, the destruction of the Valerian Freehold, ushered in a hundred years of chaos and warfare known as the Century of Blood. Um, And it was during this time that the Dothraki appeared, galloping into the grasslands from nobody is really sure where, and basically sweeping away everything that that lay in their path. This included the last of the Kothian city-states. Vias Orvik, Vias Kosor, and Vias Shiroshi, now known as their uh, and their Dothraki names, and we're not really sure what their Kothian names was, until only Karth remained. No wonder then the Karth uh, does not view the Dothraki with any kind of uh, tenderness or love. Um, with Valerian sea power off the board, Karth was able to build its navy, build up its fleet, and really embrace its potential as that massive merchant power. This allowed them to effectively control the and tax the trade routes through the Straits of Karth, and they grew rich. Um, Karth, their government is this weird combination of hereditary oligarchy and free market corptocracy. Um, in the books, there are four groups who vie for power in the city. There's the Pureborn, who trace their lineage to the ancient Carthian kings and queens, the Tourmaline Brotherhood, which is just a great name, which is like a cartel of merchants, the ancient Guild of Spicers, who the Spice King comes from, and the Thirteen. In the show, it's really just the 13 who made, who made the leap as kind of an amalgam of those four groups. They represent uh, you know, a merchant trading um, cartel. They control a significant fleet of trading vessels and warships, which is why Danny is mostly interested in. And you know, they control 
basically everything that the city does. There's no one ruler. It's the 13. All right, Maester, the path from poverty to wealth isn't always pure and honorable, but the path to the seven is always paved with our favorite holy bits. So Uh. it's time to head to the sept, bathe in the light of the seven, and share seven of our favorite insights and observations and hindsight nuggets from this episode, lightning round style. You go first. Number one. Bran to Theon, and this line just breaks your heart when he says, did you hate us the whole time? Gut-wrenching. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. Particularly because the answer is no. Right. That makes it That's so much what's worse. That's sad about it. He really doesn't want to be doing this, even though he is. When Eager, when Eager oh. says to John, strike hard and true, Jon Snow, or I'll haunt you. I'll haunt you. Two things here. One, this is actually, again, another White Walker warning from her. When right. she says, I'll haunt you, she means it's white. But two, telling your future boyfriend, strike hard and true, <laughs> good stuff when you know he's a virgin and needs some right. guidance. Number three. Tywin about his soft-hearted father, Titos Lannister. He loved us. He was a good man, but a weak man. A weak man who nearly destroyed our house and name. You can really see Tywin as his personality and his righteous rectitude in, in service of the name of Lannister as a direct answer to the things that his father did. We'll get into that in later episodes. Number four. The half-hand to John on Ghost, who before he is completely out of sight, is sort of off in the distance, wandering mysteriously. The half-hand says, wild creatures have their own rules, their own reasons, and you'll never know them. One, this is just a really cool, kind of beautiful sentence and idea. Two, uh, he's wrong, because (laughs) the Starks have an incredibly interesting and magical and mystical connection to their beasts Uh, and then also three there's a kind of like innuendo here with what he might mean by wild creatures as john is about to go see of course the wildlings number five tywin lannister is the dude when little finger and tywin have their little meeting in the heron hall uh, Littlefinger says, it is my belief that a moment of chaos affords opportunities lost soon after. Mm-hmm. Tywin, you say that as if you were the first man alive to think <laughs> it. Yes, a crisis is an opportunity. What other brilliant insights have you brought me today? <laughs> it's brutal. <laughs> I mean, Tywin, listen, Tywin has been around. <laughs> oh, my God. He's dealt with a lot of very smart people, a lot of very dumb people, a lot of very powerful people who are either smart or dumb. Uh, he's seen a lot of stuff. Littlefinger should not try to lecture him. All right, number six. Sansa, we haven't talked about her much, but she has a very rough go of it in this episode, surviving an attack. And when she's recovering in her chambers after talking to Shay, she says, I hate the king more than any of them. And Shay says, don't say these things if the wrong people hear you. And then adds later, don't trust anybody. Life is safer that way. I found myself wondering, hearing this, watching this exchange, is this just good advice from Shay that's sort of informed by her own mysterious past experience or... Does Shay kind of already know on some level that she's going to turn? I mean, obviously Tywin is not at the Red Keep with her yet, but maybe she's in tune enough with her own nature to know that she shouldn't actually really be put in this position of trust. Uh, In the riots in the streets of King's Landing, as Sansa Stark is carried away somewhere, Tyrion says, Where's the Stark girl, Joffrey? Let them have her! Fucking dick, this guy. Tyrion, if she dies, you'll never get your Uncle Jamie back. You owe him quite a bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Your life, buddy. Man, this fucking guy. Joffrey Let them have her! <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a good dude. Man. What a, one of the greatest T 
TV villains ever. All right. So Eager tells John that he's brave. Stupid but brave. And technically both of those things are also true of our episode six champion. You know, each episode we're going to honor the person who played the game, advanced his or her cause in some tangible or interesting way. And this week we're going to do this a little bit differently because we spent most of this podcast shitting on this person. And so now we need to make the opposite case. This person may suck. We know enough now after 60 episodes to realize that the moves ultimately were short-sighted and doomed. But in this moment, let's put ourselves deeply in this moment. You're sitting on your couch, you're watching this, season two, episode six for the first time, or you're reading this in Clash of Kings for the first time. Champion is... Jason, make the case for that sack of shit, Theon Greyjoy. Really, you know, this is the culmination of of his like thirst to be accepted and his plans. To be fair to Theon, and this is a moment I love when he's when he first bursts into Bran's room and he's like, "I've seized the castle. I used grappling hooks." To, like he's got to tell him. <laughs> he's so he's got to tell him the plan. He's so, so proud of himself. I used grappling hooks to come over the wall. I got it. Wasn't I got, that great? I got an A on my spelling test. <laughs> I spelled anti-disestablishmentarianism <laughs> right. What a jerk. At the same time, you know, I mean, he used some of his knowledge about the layout of Winterfell, which, to be fair, would be kind of common knowledge. The castle is 12,000 years old. Lots of people have seen it. It's not like a freaking secret. But you got to give it to him. Like, this is Theon's moment. I mean, if you play it out, if he, if he sacks Winterfell, actually manages to kidnap the Stark boys, take them, and, he, and leave, go back to the Iron Islands, that's not... That's pretty good. Right. That's a win. His big mistake was, oh, I'm going to stay here and, and hold the North with 12 guys. Much like Stannis last week. We can't always just give the champion's purse to somebody we right. like, guys. This is guys. the high watermark of Theon's life. Yeah. Like, it's really, truly like, all it's downhill legit- from here. It is legitimately <laughs> the high watermark of his entire freaking life is right now. Balon is not so proud, right. but Theon really wanted him to be. And so... The least we can do is give Theon some of that approval that he so desperately seeks. All right, guys. One day, we pray that you love this podcast. We pray that you love it so much that when you close your eyes, you hear its sounds. We want that for you. We want you to know what it's like (laughs) to love something, to truly love it, before we give you more of it. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you'll join us next time when we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 7, a man without honor. Until then, remember, we'll stay warmer if we stay close. What? What are you moving? Stop that. No! It's this feeling. What are you doing? This walrus fur moving against me.